rigs and barley rigs and corn rigs are bony. I'll not forget that happy night among the rigs with Annie. Welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coldsploitation.com, and I'm joined with my co-host, Martin. How's it going? Today, we are in the same room. It's good to be back. First time in eight months, I first, think. First time in a while. <laughs> um, we definitely... So we had some issues with like recording when we were doing the remote, remote stuff, and that was like... You know, it, it became hard to, like, make sure that everything was mapped out correctly and stuff like that. So, instead, we decided, that, you know, we're vaccinated. We'll get back together. Do it do it uh, together in the same room. A little bit easier. And also... Um, get to look at each other's beautiful mustaches. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's true. We both have nice, beautiful mustaches. It's very good. Um, we didn't watch the movie together, mostly because I have kids now, and it makes it really difficult to do like a four hour session of podcasting. So instead we watched it separately. Um, utilizing Michael's shutter, uh, account, which was nice. You were able to get on who his, uh, shutter account and watch. Is that just like a horror streaming thing? Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, that's cool. It's, uh, owned by AMC, like the network AMC, which is in itself owned by like a and E network or whatever. But the network uh, is, is, uh, they all are together, and um, I think also Amazon is part of that in some way. They they always are. They've always got a hand yeah, in the cookie jar. Which isn't good. Speaking of like you know yeah. big global fuck ups, now you got uh, MGM's being bought out. Yep, terrible. But with Shutter, yeah, it's basically just a horror streaming service, and uh, you pay month to month like Netflix, and you just get horror stuff. Um, I don't subscribe um, mostly because I have a lot of stuff. Anyway, um, but Michael has it, so we were able to leverage that. I thought maybe it was like a Canada thing, like not a Canada thing. Like, oh, hey, we got our uh, nope, got our uh, horror uh, streaming service. It uh, my bloody Valentine's on there twenty four seven. Just so if you want to see the the moose head in it. Nope, not a uh, Canada thing at all, actually. But um, one thing about it that uh, we noticed is the movie that we're doing for the show, which we announced on the last episode. We decided at the late in the in the episode that we were going to do The Wicker Man, the 1973 classic. Because why not? Because why not? It's a summertime, summer aisle. We're getting into the, the spirit of the uh, May Day, because we're, you know, we just passed May. Would have been more prescient to do it, like, May 1st, but... 
Uh, what, what can you do? But uh, what we noticed on Shutter is that it does not have the um, the uncut. It's it's one scene. It's it's like just one scene in the entire film. But there is an uncut format of the Wicker Man, and the Sh- Shutter one has uh, like the regular cut that doesn't include the Gently Johnny scene, um, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, other than that, yeah. So actually, to be honest with you, it was the first time that I had seen The Wicker Man in full. Um, obviously, like I know pretty much everything about it, and and I have um, seen parts of it and stuff. But I I never actually, I don't think, sat down and watched it in full. And I think you said you you had seen it like one time before. Yeah, like one right? time in like college. Like one time earlier. Um, when you know when I was like just like going through watching random hammer shit and christopher lee stuff and i think when i watched it i didn't really have an opinion on it mm-hmm. it was just kind of like i see what it's about yeah, and it's, you know but you know i think part of the issue with uh watching it now is that it has such a storied history um you know it's certainly a big part of um horror cinema and so watching it now is kind of difficult to you know pick out exactly what it did for the genre back in 1973. Um, and, uh, but obviously you can see, still see some of its influence. I mean, Midsummer is basically the Wicker Man plus a bear plus um, Ari Aster's... Uh, no, no, no. The remake had a bear in it too. It was the costume Nick Cage runs around. That is true. Yeah, he does. But Midsummer is basically like a, an elongated version of the Wicker Man with a couple other additions to it. And Ari Aster's trademark, you should feel bad, man. Like, <laughs> there's a suicide in this. You should feel bad about it. It's very, very affecting and depressing. Just like Hereditary, which I don't think you've seen either. No, I haven't seen you haven't one of them. You haven't delved into the Ari Aster... Uh, no, I'm curious. I just, you know... Especially these days, like, half the reason why I like doing the podcast it gives us a reason to... To watch get, some of those things that you might you not necessarily uh, branch out to. Yeah, and just like to watch in general now, just mm-hmm. because now, like, I mean, I love movies and stuff, but now it's just like, especially after COVID, and I don't really have the patience anymore to sit down and like watch TV or like, you know, anime or anything. There's a whole bunch of shit that I've like started like a couple episodes in. I'm like, mm-hmm. finish it later. <laughs> <laughs> you just put it aside. And I just never do because I don't ever sit down and like do that anymore. Yeah. Well, I would definitely check out hereditary and midsummer um they both are very slow burns and the wicker man is a slow burn as well it's not like a fast-paced um you know it is the last half coaster. it is the last half yeah hour. the last half hour the last portion of that climax is a pretty fast-paced roller coaster but before that there it's very you know very slow very methodical and i would say the same of midsummer and hereditary um they're very slow and methodical until they get to a point where it just kind of spirals off um, which i will say too even though it is methodical it's economical there's not, the wicker man you mean yeah there's not a lot wasted like i said i watched it's the theatrical what a 97 minute film or well, something like that 88 minutes yeah 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 it's 90 something no matter what basically yeah. it's you know it's either 90 minutes or the gently johnny scene maybe adds four minutes to it or something um but regardless you're right it, it is you know it, it i would say and this is not knocking the film, but it definitely feels its length. It feels like it's 90 minutes long. But it is also doing things in that 
full 90 minutes. Like, it's not just wasting time or, you know, here's a scene with two neighbors talking to each other. That doesn't really matter. Uh, it doesn't really do that. And so I, I would say that, you know, it is a slow burn. Takes the whole 90 minutes, but what you get is worth it when you encompass when you when you take into account everything that happened in those 90 minutes it's it's all packed together whereas if you take midsummer for example that's like a two and a half hour movie very long slow burn drawn out you know and everything sort of has a meaning to it but it's very meandering um wicker man say went the superior route right right (laughs) the wicker man just doesn't have that like meanderingness to it and I think you'll find that with like all of Ari Aster's films, they're kind of like meandering to get to where they need to go. Um, there's even like a three hour version of Midsummer, I think, the director's cut, which I haven't seen. I only watched the regular version, but I can't imagine, you know, do you really need three hours for everything? Just like Suspiria. Did you, like, Suspiria has a lot going on. The, and I'm talking about the Luca Guadagnino uh, remake. But at the same time, fucking three hours. Like, I'm never going to go and sit down and watch Suspiria again. Be- probably because of that. Because it's three hours long. Because it is jam-packed with, like... And we did that episode. It's jam-packed with literally everything. It's like, you want some uh, context on, like, the 1980s, 1970s, 80s war that's going on right now? We got got it for you. You want, you know, you want feminine f- witch inf- it, stuff that's happening? We got it. It... It's just almost overwhelming, like, everything that's happening in Suspiria. I do kind of want to rewatch it, though, again, because I think it was a little too harsh watch, you know. I think I ended up liking, like, from what I remember, it's been, like, four years now. I think I remember liking it better than the original. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I, like, enjoyed it as much. I think, like, with a new perspective and, like, knowing what I'm getting into, I probably would uh, appreciate it a little bit more. I I think what actually ended up happening was you just appreciated uh, the uh, Tom... Um, York York soundtrack, and you were like, "I gotta, I gotta revisit it." Just you know, went home and listened to the bands. <laughs> yeah, I need, I need to get my uh, prime radio pri- radio head on. Mm. I need to listen to Pablo Honey and the Bands, not this, <laughs> you know, okay computer nonsense. <laughs> All right, uh, before we go on any further into um, the film. Let's take a break and talk about the beer that we have on the show right now. All right, so uh, on the show today, we have a beer that we have not had before, and um, it's pretty new, actually. We've had a version of it um, that was made, and it's like in a series, but we've not had this one particularly. Um, if you've listened to us before, you know, we talk about Amagang quite a bit. It's a, a fairly close brewery to us, and we've been to a few shows there Um it's a it's a nice brewery, fun time out in Cooperstown, and um, Modest Mouse is coming there. Yep, Modest Mouse is coming there sh- again. People are going ape shit over it. In <laughs> um, in this beer, um, they have a series called the Neon series, and they did they've done Neon Rainbows, and they've done Neon Lights, and the new one that they have done is Neon Pools, and Neon Pools is a collaboration with Sloop Brewing, which I think. We may have had one or two sloops on here before. I think we've done like the juice bomb. And yeah, which is sloop is also a, it's a, not as local to us. It's in like Hopewell Junction, New York, which is downstate. But um, I am a pretty big fan of sloop. I try to get like all of their new different beers that they put out, even though I tend to feel like they 
put out very samey tasting beers. Um, they all, almost always put out IPAs, and um, mo- at this point now, Nipas or hazy IPAs, whatever you want to call them. I don't think I've ever seen them do anything else. Besides. Yep, they do a sour. They have one out right now that's called the um, uh, what's it called? Um, that's my jam. I think oh. it's called something like that. Um, and Hody had it the other day, oh. and uh, he said it was really good. So, um, but yeah, for the most part, they do IPAs. Uh, like almost, I would say ninety percent of their beers are IPAs at this point. Um, Neon Pools is that collaboration with Amagang. Um, it's they call it the OMG series, I guess. Like the yeah, you know, get it? OMG Amagang, clever, clever guys. But um, they uh, have put this out. It's um, a Nipa, a hazy IPA. And that's really right in Sloop's wheelhouse, but not so much in um, Amagang's wheelhouse. And I will say, and I think we both agree, that this is a very Sloop-like beer. No, you can't taste the Amagang. The, the Amagang part of that, which is tends to be Belgian, um, is just like not. Which makes the, which makes the fact that when they started like the, when they started out with the Nirvana IPA, which we did on the podcast long, long time ago, that like you know it's an all right IPA. But like, kind of like, why bother? It's no BPA. It's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the no Belgian be- pale, no ale. Belgian pale ale. So, uh, people at Almagang, if you're listening, it's been like a decade. Bring the Belgian pale ale back. Yeah, that's what you need to do. It was like one of my first Almagang beers. That the Belgian great. pale ale that was great. But I mean, like you know, that's why, like, um, for the most part, like the neon. I mean, I'll I'll try them when they do they do these things. But for the most part. I don't go out of my way for them because when I want an Amagang, it's because I want a very good Belgian. Because Belgians are a underrated, underutilized uh, style. Um, but this, it's not bad. It's very sloopy. Tastes like it a, tastes like a juice bomb. <laughs> it's sloopy, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, there's there's really like, you know, and that's it. I like, and as Ryan was saying, like they're very samey. Sloops is consistent very consistent their nipas are great but they're very like all the different hops and fruits and notes can't fucking tell the difference you know what they are i make a baseball reference seeing as we're getting into the dog days of summer for baseball Mm. they're the tony gwynn of nipas Mm -hmm. they're gonna hit well they're gonna do well play great do hard you know play hard but they're not gonna be like you know like super standout about though right you're gonna show up to you know, and you're gonna drink it and be like, "Yeah, that tastes good." And then you're just gonna go on your way. Mm-hmm. It's not like you know, with like Fidens taking the world up by storm now by all the shit they're doing now. But I imagine eventually, people are gonna be like, "Yep, tastes like Fidens." Right. Yeah, I would say that, uh, like you said, this is a sloopy beer. It really tastes like a Nipa that Sloop would make. I don't really get a lot of Amagang, you know, technically it's brewed and canned at Amagang. Um, you know, I would, I would guess that this is a sloop recipe or maybe they borrow their yeast. Right. Right. Throw a little bit of yeast. I would, I would guess that this is mainly a sloop recipe. I I don't really see the Amagang influence here. Um, which is not to say that it's a bad thing and it really is a good beer. It's really good. Hazy IPA. Um, it's, I would say that it's very, um, um, balanced. It's got quite a few hops in it, but it's a very balanced beer. It's not overwhelmingly alcoholy. It doesn't have an extremely fruity flavor. It's not super sweet like some dippas or tippas can get. Um, 
and it does the hazy IPA very well. Um, is it a knockout? Like, are you going to go home and be like, you got to try the neon pools? I wouldn't say so because it's very, and that's part of Sloop's problem now is that they've been so consistent putting out really good Nipas that now you're not writing home to anybody about the Sloop. You're like, and, and that may happen with people. Some people might say, wow, Neon Pools is really great because that's like the only Sloop beer that they've had and it was a really good IP, Nipa and and that, that might work for them. But for others, people who have had like the No series of Sloopers, people who have had the um, One Plus Good that they do, the series, maybe people gravitate more towards those. I just feel like now there's so many out there you don't have a favorite. You don't. There's. It's just not like you're not surprised anymore. Everything to me just goes back to Juice Bomb. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like, Juice Bomb tends to be their like flagship. Their flagship because it is very balanced. It is very you know. I don't know. Hammer down. This is this is the IPA. This is this is you know. It's just juicy and and bam. That's what you want. But I, I, I won't say that Neon Pools is bad. It's very good, and, and I definitely would have people try it. Um, it just doesn't – there's not anything here that I haven't had before in a, in a hazy. It's where we've been for a while, though, with Nightbus, where it's like, and, yeah, I'll have it. I'll give it a shot. Uh, yeah, and I'll I'm the like idiot. It. I, I literally just... will buy a hazy, like, literally every time I go to the, the store. I, like, I'm constantly – drawn to them even though i know like is this gonna taste that different from the one that i have at home right now not really you're at a you're at the restaurant getting yourself a nice like burger with you know some fry you know nice french dip sandwich you know probably the lo- the logger would probably go well they got a really good logger you see a new <laughs> nipa though yeah do i blame myself yeah in a way do i blame the like the culture of like, hey, if you don't get it now, you're going to miss out. We're going to stop brewing this exact type of beer, and it's series number two. Uh, and you know, we're going to c- continue on in this series. So if you didn't have it, like, oh, you're shit out of luck. Yeah, I, I have that FOMO feeling of like, if I don't get number 19, uh, it's never going to come around again. It's like record store day. Yeah, it's like, what a great idea. But then it's like, well, fuck, if I don't drive an hour and a half out to either Syracuse or an hour out to Albany and somehow stumble upon this one record store that may have the three copies of, you know, this limited edition release. Never going to get it in the collections. Never going to be complete. Yep. So I'm glad that finally broke me, because you know what? It's like, yeah, there's certain things I'd like to have everything of. I would love to have, like, every, you know, Tom Petty and the Heartbreaker album. Just can't do it. Been too many record store days, and I've missed. Mm-hmm. And I'd be paying an arm and a leg. Plus, I like to buy things new. So if I found one to use with, like, dog bites in it, I wouldn't be able to, like, buy it. I'd be like, mm. no thank you. You wouldn't feel good about it. Yeah, I, I, I have the FOMO feeling with IPAs, but, you know, I blame the industry. It's not my fault <laughs> that I have addictions. <laughs> All right, so, so moving on to... Um, to our, our episode at hand here, The Wicker Man from 1973. You're not saying it right. The Wicker Man. No, I was going to say, The Wicker Man. Like, cause it's this movie's part musical. Oh my good golly gosh, there's so many musical elements to it. So, let's start out by saying that, you know, I understand at the beginning where Edward Wo
uh, very like now rooted in his ways. How did the film open up for you? Um, with the introduction of like the prayer and him um reading from the from I don't even I'm I'm not religious so I don't know what he's what Bible verse he's reading from but reading from the Bible. See in the, in the theatrical cut it's just the plane. You, oh really? You don't like so oh. all that like um prologue stuff of him being Oh in, that's like, interesting in, in on the mainland. I didn't even know that. I you thought yeah, So no, there is some I, I, so there's I, I, more yeah, than just I've done, the yeah, I've done, gently I've done, Johnny. I, I did I say I did a Little Do reading little up, deep to see, dive into yeah, that. like the differences because ah. I've only seen the theatrical cut. The mm-hmm. two times I've seen this film, I've only seen the theatrical cut. Yeah, but it starts off just him and like flying and like ah, that's interesting. You know? So you don't get any. So you don't get that context of like, wow, he's extremely religious. Like, look how you know. No, okay, that's interesting. I did, you know, in a way, I do think that that the opening of the director's cut is a little weird with the opening sequence of him because it like it's sort of like here's this happening. Then it cuts to the credits, and then now he's flying into the island, and it's like there's almost like a disconnect. Like, okay, you know, how did we get from here to from there to here? Yeah, the it whole, doesn't. The whole opening credits is him flying into the right. Into the Somerset yeah, that's Island. that's um that's interesting. I, I did feel like the director's cut with the, with that um, element of opening with the prayer and stuff like that was a little bit like almost like it just cut out and it it just like jumped from something else and it felt like they kind of put that in out of context it was almost like so i think we could talk about that a little later because i i wouldn't say that the wicker man is very um um implicit in its themes it's it is very much like hey look at this um so we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later in what that opening difference between the director's cut and theatrical cut does um that's interesting that you note that though, because I didn't realize that they they actually had like structured it a little bit differently. Besides the gently Johnny scene, um, but I do love the fact that like when you first open, even though he's very Catholic, very religious, and you see all of these hey, things that are he's English. True, yeah, he's Episcopal. He's, he's part, <laughs> there, there you go, Church of England. Yeah, right. Um, he's he's you know he's very religious, but you get there, there's. All kinds of songs going on. Literally every single time he walks into some place, they're fucking breaking out in a song again. I, too, would just be like, this island's not for me. Okay? <laughs> I, I, I don't sing. I, I'm not into dancing all the time. And I would just be really fed up with everybody. Like, shut the fuck up. Stop with the constant singing. No, I see. I would love it because as soon as he arrives, he's greeted by, like, four old codgers. And one of them's wearing, like, a fucking sea shanty hat and his sea vest. Like, you know, he looks like the... The sea captain yeah, from, like, The Simpsons. Like, corn cob. <laughs> yeah, he does, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like all right, welcome to Somerset Isle, yes. Oh, no, we seen your girl, you know. I'd be like, these people seem mighty friendly. <laughs> they also seem like they have nothing to do. But it's great, though, because, like, he just, because basically the way the film starts is you got him flying and you got the song, and then when he yep. lands, it's like, bring me the dangy. He's like, what? <laughs> Bring me the thing. The, the really funny part is that he's prepared for this sequence because he has a loudspeaker in his plane. And he just like pulls it out and he's like, Bring me the dingy. It's it's great. You're not supposed to be here. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That is nice. Like that would be something that you would you would look at and you'd be like, wow, I could be an old codger here. This I could guy, be I could be Clint Eastwood here right now. I, I, well, no, because Clint would have killed them all. <laughs> but, no, I mean, just like the whole, like, 
he shows up and then he's like, oh, I'm a police officer from the mainland. And it's like, okay, great. Yeah, uh, this doesn't mean anything to them at what all. What the hell does you working in like Glasgow or whatever, whatever part of Scotland, <laughs> yeah. because it's their aisles off of Scotland, being part of whatever metropolitan, I don't know if they say in the director's cut, because I know you get the... Where, where uh, the bit where he's at the where police. Summer Isle is, or where no, like where the ma- where on he's the ma- from. No, they the just mainland. he just like basically says the mainland or yeah. you know stuff like that. So I mean, I, if I was like one of the old people, I'd be like, "Well, you fuck, this ain't your fucking." You know? That's basically what they're saying. <laughs> I mean, they're like, "Okay, <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean anything to them that he's from the mainland policing." And and really, through a lot of the film, it it is hilarious how like much he feels like he's entitled to be like I'm a mainland cop. I, I, you, you're trying to withhold things from me? No, you you give them here because I'm coming back with a squadron of cops. I from feel the like mainland. American American uh, riot forces were like absolutely. Out. They're yeah. They're, <laughs> I mean, we'll probably get to it a little bit, but like they're the last, the final sequence before we get to like the whole spiral out of control, where he's going around and just enforcing himself, forcing himself into houses. And he's like, I'm. You know what? Fine. My plane doesn't work. I'm just going to go into every single fucking house on the island and I'm going to look for this little girl. Um, that's no war or anything. Kind of hilarious <laughs> sequence. And it seemed, almost seems like the film knows that it's sort of funny because it, it's it, – it knows that the whole and, – and at that point um, – at that point we, we know that um, she – like we know that there's something going on here as the as – the, um, the viewer that seeing more than than he sees so we know that something's going on and so to see him kind of like take that and not really recognize like something weird is going on in this town um and just try to treat it as like a normal mystery murder mystery is is pretty funny it it just is is a a funny sequence so uh speaking of you know the weirdness that's happening in the wicker man, you know, we were subjected to that right away. It's not like the wicker man takes a long time to get into that, even though it is a slow burn type film. Um, but what we were subjected to is like what we talked about. Lots of singing, lots of like Simon and Garfunkel esque folk type <laughs> songs that's going on. And, um, and we see, we, we see some orgies happening, which is nice. Uh, wa- watering graveyards. Um, and in the director's cut, when we get to that Gently Johnny scene where they're basically singing as Willow, um, played by the very beautiful Britt Eklund, um, she's having sex with a minor, basically, um, which I, I assume is one of the reasons why it got cut out of the theatrical cut, because it's very statutory rapey. Um, during that scene, you get Christopher Lee like literally monologuing outside of the window which is a very weird scene in itself. Which, from what I've read about that scene, yep, glad it's not in the glad it's not in the theatrical cut. It's it's because, really weird because it's a terrible introduction to Christopher Lee. Yeah, character. because it is the first time that you actually meet Christopher Lee. Because, because then after at that, that point, would, it'd be like forty minutes until you see him again. Right, exactly. Which totally bought you know blunts at, his at, introduction. At this point, you know, like there's a Lord Summer Isle. That's on the island, and you know we've got um, our copper going around, and he's you know interviewing people. He's like, "I need to speak to Summer Isle, Lord Summer Isle," and they're like, "Well, you know, we're gonna have to get permission from Lord Summer Isle to have you look into these records." But you don't know; you've never met Lord Summer Isle. You don't know who he is. 
And if you've never seen the film before, you don't know it's Christopher Lee. So when you get to that point of Gently Johnny in the director's cut, it's very jarring because you're like, what the fuck is Christopher Lee? Like, if you have never seen it before, you're like, what is Christopher Lee doing? <laughs> just like monologuing outside of this guy's hotel room. That's what he does on uh, when he's not acting. He's just showing up to like, ah, oh, yes. Yeah, you, like, it is. A, yeah, it's a really weird. Did you did you actually like watch the monologue at all? Did you? No, I didn't it's a see really it. it's really weird. But I, I, like I said, I read and it's like, yeah, this it, is his first introduction. So yeah, yeah that's not a not a good first introduction. It doesn't really make sense, like because you're like, who is this guy? You know, he's almost like the like you would expect like a devil to be like that. Like the devil is always the one that's doing the monologue outside of like your virgin uh, protagonist, and it's almost like they meant him to be like the devil. That was doing that monologue, but it doesn't really make sense in the director's cut because there's no introduction to Christopher Lee. He just sort of appears outside and he's giving this monologue about um, slugs and human nature and animals. And it doesn't it just you're like, what? <laughs> where did this come from? Um, though, I will say, I think that the the gently Johnny thing is kind of interesting because that is our first introduction to Britt Eklund's character who's sort of like the the town tramp you know everybody visits her <laughs> throughout the town she's not like, just the daughter of the inky <laughs> absolutely and so um that is your first inclination like oh okay so something's going on in the theatrical cut your first introduction to her is at the end when he goes to the inn right so so he's already been at the end at the inn in the director's cut um, he's already seen like you know the, everybody singing a basically, song. Basically, what happens in the theatrical cut is he all that you get the innkeeper's daughter song. And, yep, the innkeeper's daughter song. Yep, and then um, th- when he's going to bed, he starts getting boner sweats because Brick Eklund's dancing around naked. Oh, okay, so that's when the naked dancing happens. Yeah, well, she starts dancing around naked. Gotcha. She's he's just feeling it. So and then the next day he she wakes him up and is like. Why don't you come visit me? I told you I wanted to see you. And he's like, I can't. Um, I will, you know, sorry. Nothing against you, but I'm going to be engaged. Well, have a spot of tea. Gotcha. Okay, so that's a little interesting because it does change that up a little bit in the director's cut, which I think I like better in the director's cut because at least with a gently Johnny context, as the viewer, you're getting more context of like how sexualized this, this location is. Um well, you get to see that just in the, when he's wandering around the village. And you, see you do get to see that. In the, fucking in the, everyone's just The orgies there, in the know, graveyard and, and stuff the, like and that. The field, yeah. You do get to see that. But I think that it's it's nice to see that with, with the character of Willow. And, and, you know, it's even more weird that there's, like, the scene where they're basically, like, initiating virgins. And um, that that all happens. And then the dancing scene happens later. So the dancing scene kind of now gives us context we have additional context with that, you know, that this is why Sergeant Howie's like sort of so turned on now. He's already had that moaning sequence with uh, Gently Johnny um, to lead him into being attracted to um, Willow. But I, I think either way it works. Um, the Gently Johnny scene is, is definitely an interesting uh, director's cut addition. I don't think Christopher Lee's... Um, monologue and it really makes much sense even even in the context of like the film and going forward and talking about slugs and um animal nature it's not really i think it's a little overstated actually you know to have him come in and do a monologue about it with the wicker man 
it's certainly about like the moralistic attitude of religion. You know, w- when you talk about religion, you know, and we we think about Christianity, there's a very specific story and morals that go along with that story about Jesus. And that's where Sergeant Howie's coming from. He's like, don't you guys know about Jesus? Don't you guys care that, you know... World's worst uh, prophetizer going yeah. around. Like, <laughs> yes. excuse me, while you're fucking in the fields. May I have a word to tell you about Jesus Christ? Exactly. Or going to the it, to the uh, classroom, and he <laughs> comes in just completely what? flabbergasted by the fact that she's talking about phallic symbols. And, uh, and, the uh, maypole's a penis. The, may, the may, maypole's a penis, and he just takes her aside, and he's like... Do you think this is appropriate? I'm going to come back with authorities. And she's like, okay, yeah, so? Um, it does, It like, I do like that about the Wicker Man, that these people in this location, they are not swayed by him saying, like, I'm going to come back with police. Um, you're being immoral with the, your talk about sexuality because they're like, what? It's not immoral to us. We don't care. This is, you know, this is our religion. This is how we feel. And it really sets in motion that the whole idea behind the Wicker Man is that there's other religions other than Christianity. Well, I think more so it's, I, at least for me, it kind of, you know, maybe it's because I come from an ag- agnostic perspective. It's kind of gleaming the ridiculousness of both sides. Absolutely. You know, yeah. like, like, oh, you know, if you're Christian, you'd be like, yeah, these pagan assholes, you yep. know, with their pagan bullshit. But then if, you know, you were pagan, you'd be like, well, this asshole with this Christian, there's no, you know, Jesus here. We ran him off a long time ago, you know. And I think the absurdity of both kind of show, show it, through, especially later, which I don't want to really get into now, when you have him, you know, later in the film, like, trying to plead his case to them. He's using, you know, Jesus and the Bible and God to try to appeal to their senses, which isn't going to work for them because it's it's not the world that they know and understand. It certainly um, sometimes feels like Christopher Lee almost knows. He's almost in tune with the fact that their religion on Summer Isle is sort of ridiculous. He knows that. I think he kind of, I think, though, he, he says he... He, uh, I think, even though that he's <clears throat> says that, like he lets them to do it, you know, because that's what they believe and it's happy. I think he, him and his family line, like have kind of accepted like a cult leader status. Yeah, exactly. Like it's almost like he knows and he's leading these people, but he knows that the religion itself is ridiculous. That 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 what they're practicing is not realistic, and he knows that from both scenarios. He's almost like the um. He's almost like the viewer's per, per perspective of what they're portraying that he knows like, yeah, Summer Isle's religion is, is ridiculous. You know, the, obviously murdering people and sacrificing them to a sun god and a water god doesn't work. But also the religious aspect of Christianity is also equally as ridiculous. And what does it matter ultimately what your people believe in? You're, you live on an island it doesn't matter. As, as the priest or shaman, he's the one who holds the power. Exactly. You it know, doesn't like, matter you know. what they believe in. It's just that he lords over them. Yeah. And that's it. And Christopher Lee is the perfect person for that because he, every scene that he's in, he really shines. There's a, the, I think 
probably in the theatrical cut, the first time you actually meet him is when Sergeant Howie goes to his manor yes. and That's, meets him in the library and talks to him. Which is over and, like halfway through the film, you, you finally yeah. – Get you know to meet him and and that's actually a really good introduction to him because that's when you really start to see like the workings of Summer Isle and what's going on there and the differences of religion that they have there. Especially when he like just blows off, he's like uh, Sergeant Howie says you've you've got you know young people dancing nude. And he's like, yeah. Hopping over the fire. He's yeah, he's like, like, yeah. How else are they going to, you know, get, can't get do pregnant? It clothes on. You say, can't do it with clothes on. <laughs> you'll burn, you'll yeah. burn alive. That's a perfect introduction. And you're right. You know, that's the best introduction to Christopher Lee's character in this movie. You don't really want it to be a weird monologue where you're yeah, like, who is this guy? <laughs> ogling Britt Eklund. Like right, that. yeah. Yeah, you're like, who is this guy during the director's cut? But Christopher Lee is really great in this role, and he he has a great head of hair in this movie. It's it's all over the place. It's just question, real or fake? You know, I was thinking about that too. <laughs> it's definitely times... not the Christopher Lee hair that you know from subsequent movies. Like you know, that's it's more kempt all of the rest of the movies. I think it's like it, the length of it is just like, all right, it's beyond believable and it's kind of a piece. It might be. It might be. I'm not, I'm I, honestly, I'm not sure, you know, because it, it, just a year later when him and Brick, Brick Eklund are at uh, the man of the golden gun bond film, when he's, you know, Francisco Scaramanga, his hair's nice and slick. Quaffed and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like when he's Dracula. And that's you know? normal. That's, that's, that's what you would normally expect from Christopher Lee. It may be, um, it's like a court. It's like Courtney Cox and Scream Three. Sure, kind of sure. It's like, yeah. Wow, that's. And then that's the, the, I mean, the other thing too is that you know he's not above wearing a piece or portraying Asian characters <laughs> like in <laughs> Fu Manchu, the Fu Manchu movies. But um, and and then even even in this film, he dons a nice long haired wig. During the, uh, the, the May, yeah, May Day some, uh, parade, celebration. Yeah. So um, he's not a, opposed to wearing a nice wig. Um, I think either way, it's a nice head of hair. It's, it's crazy. It's like fucking all over the place in the movie. And it's, it's great. It looks amazing. Um, I think that The Wicker Man works really well for it, even though it's, it's a slow burn movie. I would definitely say that it, it takes its time getting through different avenues of showing this religion, this island, the difference between Sergeant Howie and the people that are on this island. Which I like, because I, yeah. I think the fact that, at least in the theatrical cut, you don't have like that pre-context set up. You see throughout the film, like when he goes like, I'm a religious man, you know, mm-hmm. and like, this is what I believe. It's a lot more, I think, impactful and moves things along nice, nicely instead of having this lo- elongated intro of him being like, at, like sure. you know... The police precinct, everyone being like, oh, he's a, such a prude. Look at him be, you know, yeah. miserable. It, I actually think that, you know, with that introduction, the Wicker Man is overstated in its um, its themes. Um, getting rid of that, that whole, like, religious context that we get at the beginning allows you to think differently about Sergeant Howie. You don't immediately know that he's very religious. It takes a while like, yeah. from him, for him. Like, you can see his uncomfortability. Like, when he's and, at and the that's... end and he sees them all, like, you know, when he's at the end and they're all drinking and yeah. being loud and merry, and then he goes out into the field, which, you know. I feel like that would be anybody, though. 
you come to an island and then people are having, you know, sex in a field, you'd be like, what is going on here? And as I said before, people just breaking out randomly in a song. You'd be like, what, what the hell is going on on this island? Uh, or singing about a maypole and well, basically you know everything 19, has sexual was, connotations. You know what? It's 1973. There was no internet or anything. So, like, how are we going to keep ourselves, you know, busy? I know. Tim, grab the accordion. Dun, 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 it's dun, true. Dun, dun. It's true. Sing us a song. And not only that, but you, you make saucy songs out of it. You know, this, that's the fun of it. You, you how, can we, how can we make this, like, you know, rated R for, uh, for connotation? That's that's what they're doing there. Which, what a weird choice. I mean, it works well, but what a weird choice to have just, like, you know, them singing in a bunch of different little musical numbers. Inspired. Inspired? I, I, think, that, I think the musical element to it is almost like um, Psalm with religion, you know, Christianity. It's It's similar in that in Christianity we have certain gospels, you know, that, that we do a lot of singing in church. And I say we, I'm... <laughs> pretty much agnostic as well but or even atheist but um there's a lot of singing in religion and so this is almost like a reversal of that instead of singing about Jesus and things like that they're singing sexually con- uh, sexually in sexual innuendo that is part of their religion and i think that's an interesting well, you, you know, wouldn't get you wouldn't glean that a first choice because when he they first are at, when he's at the end, it's a fucking end for God's sake. True, true. You know, at the end, you, if there's you're any thinking, pla- if, say, if there's any place you're going to be like, well, there's going to be that's where they're breaking out in song yeah, for sure. Yeah, where they're advertising Smirnoff vodka. Do you like that sign? Smirnoff vodka. Yeah, the yeah. big like the little placard <laughs> hanging down. It's like Smirnoff vodka. I was surprised that throughout the film you didn't see somebody be like, yes, I'll take a Smirnoff, Smirnoff vodka. <laughs> and then, like, pull the bottle out. <laughs> how, how do you feel about Sergeant Howie? Like Ed, Edward, Ed, and when I'm when I'm saying that, I mean Edward Howard Woodward playing Sergeant Howie. Great, I think he does a, a fantastic job. Great, because very um, stoic, very and it just even, builds. Even, yeah, it, he, his performance builds throughout the film. Like he's very stoic, and like you know, coming off as like the noble constable, like mm-hmm. you know. And then as he's trying to... Unwavering, take, yeah, I would un, say. Yeah, a very, you know, unwavering, sto- you know, stoic, not in, like, his mannerisms, but, like, just in, like, his set belief. Yep. He's, you know... And then just as he's, like, kind of unraveling more and more of the mystery, the, he becomes more and more paranoid and more and more, you know, um, aggressive mm-hmm. in his search and how he behaves. Like, not anything hyper irrational but i mean it by the end he is irrational because he dons the costume of the fool and yep. as they say only a fool would end up with his doom because they warned him several times and he mm-hmm. and kept, of his own free will he, yeah he kept pursued taking, it yeah yep. kept taking the bait yeah and, and I, I it's definitely an interesting idea that it, not only so they manipulated him for sure but at the same time he did it of his own free will because they consistently were saying, like, listen, go you don't home. go home. You don't want to delve into this. This is, you know, we have different ways of doing things here. And he did it anyway. And so there is that element of, you know, personal choice and responsibility. And, uh, you know, at the end, obviously, there was manipulation. And they, they certainly 
Um, it's you know it's by choice in quotation marks because they let him he, into things, but because of his you know puritanical you know yeah. views and but it, but it is certainly interesting that at the end of it it comes down to like personal decision that got him there in the first place, and uh, I I think that that's a really interesting element to the Wicker Man is that it you know he it they're relying on him but at the same time it's his personal <laughs> choice and they're blaming him for his personal choice while at the same time he's trying to point out too like your personal choices like you know have led to like your crop failure and it's going to happen again mm-hmm. what are you going to do then while they're re- relying on their own mysticism instead of you know looking at how to potentially through science or something make the crops not fail i think that's a that's another really it's understated but i mean that's you know definitely yeah. a point you could take from that's a it's a it's a it leaves a very interesting idea at the end of the film though because though christopher lee doesn't really seem swayed by that uh approach where he's saying basically what happens if you kill me you you sacrifice me and then next year it happens again what are your people going to do then like are they just going to say Oh, you know, we got to sacrifice another person or are they going to be mad at you because you said this would happen and it didn't. I think that it leaves a nice unclosed loop of like what happens next? You know, what happened next year after the sacrifice? Did it work? You know, did, were the crops okay? Or was Christopher Lee under fire because these people, you know, it it doesn't seem like it at the end like the well, people are it, not I, really swayed, but I think at the if it were to come to that it it basically the cycle would still continue though because again it's like he's as he is stoic and firm in his christian beliefs so are they Mm -hmm. so as even though he's going to die and die a martyr for his beliefs it's the same thing for them they're not going to be like well it's christopher lee's fault they're like well Gotta go find someone else, you know, to yeah. the guy apparently we didn't, you know, appease the guy. Apparently that guy wasn't worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. You know. Yeah. It's, and it's just gonna con- you know, and that cycle's going to continue. Because again, the pretense for the sacrifice they needed, he needed to come on his own free will. He needed to be a virgin. Mm-hmm. Which he was because after, at least in the theatrical cut, when you get, you know, Brit's butt dance and then he wakes up in the next morning, he's got his engagement ring on. And you can see and she asks, like, well, why don't you sleep with me? And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm engaged. I don't believe in premarital sex. And she's like, well, why not? She, You know. Mm-hmm. And I don't even, I don't know that that happens in the director's cut. Yeah, it's actually. like, that's the whole, like, cup of tea part. When she, I know she doesn't bring, brings comes, him a cup of tea. Yeah, comes and, and wakes him up, like, mm-hmm. when he's, like, waking up from the sweats, like, she's like, why don't you come and see me? He's like, sorry, I'm engaged to be married. And mm-hmm. she's like, so? Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, I can't remember, two other things. Oh, and he's a fool. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, again, like, would Chris, the Christopher Lee wouldn't suit that, because he's not living on Orgy Island. He's not a virgin. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so be, there's there's ways they'd, around. They'd, they'd have to conjure up a either try to do the same thing and find somebody else that meets those same things, or he'd be like, "No, I the God said we need this now." You know. Do you think that uh, the Wicker Man goes too far in how it portrays religion, where it's it's too explicit in the way that its theme comes out? Do you think it's do you think it goes too far where it's like, okay, we get it, you know? No. Because it's the whole point of the film. And I, like I said, it's only an hour 
28 minute film it's like i said it's very economical and it takes it built like i said it takes its time in building that up and it's about like a yeah. halfway point where it really starts to push that forward mm-hmm. so i mean i don't think so i think it does you know really good job and i think using like uh celtic you know different type of like celtic paganism as a contrast to christianity you know is a it's a cool idea works out really cool and like it brings up a lot of questions because you could <clears throat> be from several different points of view and be like you could be somebody who's wholly christian and be like yeah no, this is great because he's standing firm in his beliefs mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and taking them on dying a martyr's death like jesus and i think that would be really interesting to watch from someone who is really really christian strong in their beliefs and watch it and see what they think because um, we there's a lot of films from the 70s that are really very Christian, even though you might not tend to think about it. The Exorcist, extremely Christian, mm-hmm. um, even though like because the whole theme of it is like, well, Christianity is going to save you. You know, um, lots of those types of horror movies were extremely Christian. The Wicker Man. The Omen. No. <laughs> yeah. The Omen. The Omen. Very, very much like Christianity is going to save you. You know, that's that's how are Rosemary's you? Rosemary's baby. Yep. How do you how do you beat the devil? Well, you got Christianity on your side. Um, the Wicker Man is exactly opposite to the point where it's a little chilling at the end where he's screaming, you know, Jesus, Jesus Christ. And, you know, not saved. And that's the point of that is and like, you got them very, singing their song. Like, yeah. you know, like, eh, we it's, did. it's almost like the war of religions. Like who's going to win in this battle? And it's like, you know, God doesn't save him at the end of the movie. He is burnt and, you know, in so, in in a certain way, he takes that into his own religious beliefs as well, saying like, "Well, maybe it's my, maybe that's my lot in life." Is God said I need to be stand firm in in my beliefs and die a martyr? Yeah, this, and, I'm like Job, and, 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 and I'm being yeah, yeah. Well, and that's why. So you could find uh, if that's you know what you take out of it, you could find symbolism at the end when the wicker man's burning, the head you know comes falling you know right. down like. Is that like is God then cursing them for like what they did? Right, right, yeah. You there's a, there's a lot of things that you could take there. It's it's kind of interesting because I'm not religious. I don't really you know I don't really ascribe to any religion, and so you know you can kind of look at it from without bias. But if you're like extremely Christian, like how do you take the Wicker Man or or if you're not Christian, if you have a different belief, Hindu, um, do you, are you watching the film and saying, yeah, that's right? You know, like Christianity is always trying to butt into our religions and you know talk about things that we don't really believe that's kind of what the wicker man goes into is that you know all of the time he's trying to impose christian christian beliefs into a society that really just doesn't have them so it means nothing to them when he's talking about that but it is really interesting at the end how much it goes into that you know jesus christ i'm not you know the the absolute Christian belief where he's not saved and what that means and in and, and the chilling moment where they're just basically singing along to watching be, him burn up and it'd be so wrong though if like at the end like he somehow, somehow manages to get like out like it's yeah. fucking Dawn of the Den, Ken Forey's about to be surrounded by zombies and then you got the A team theme kick on as he, you know Yeah, kicks, for sure. Yeah. Kicks and fights his way. Yeah, in. no, I, I think it would be absolutely terrible. It'd if, be ridiculous, yeah. you know. If he um, makes it out, you know, it's it just it wouldn't make sense. Or, you know, at that point, you would you would see everything that happened in the Wicker Man and you, it would be almost like hypocritical. You'd be like, what? You know, what? 
we're, we're seeing the point is that not everybody sees Christianity. Not everybody believes in Christianity or believes in that, that method of belief for their religion. And so to have him escape and it would just totally defy the rest of what they, what was shown in the movie. So it would, it would definitely would not make sense. It would be a really bad moment and it, it would completely negate everything else that you saw. Um, I do think that it, it, it's a really good film because it just, it does show you that the difference of belief that, that happens. And sometimes we take for granted, especially in the United States, which is predominantly Christian, predominantly, um, religious. Um, we take for granted that there's lots of other beliefs that don't involve Jesus Christ, you know, you need to exterminate them. <laughs> need, you know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, it, you know, it brings to light a lot of that. And that was in 1973. And we really haven't progressed that far from that period of time. You know, it's still predominantly Christian, still predominantly. Well, Europe has, we have. Well, yeah. But. I mean, we're a nation of Puritans. So. That's true. That's true. But, I mean, it, it, like I said, it's just a great concept, you know, and it executed incredibly well. Yeah, the um, slow burn really works for this movie. And the fact, like, again, like, if the British props, just great, like, horror, but not, like, horror that's going to make you really wretched and real and get you a jump scare. It's mm-hmm. all... All about the little idiosyncrasies that you see going on. And then, mm-hmm. you know, when you get to, you know, when you get to him, like, you know, I mean, the climb, the, the only real violence in this film is him being burned alive. Mm-hmm. They don't do anything else to, you know, when they get him, like, they don't beat him. Like in the remake where they, like, break Nicholas Cage's legs and all this other gratuitous shit. They just grab him, fucking tie him up, drag him in there, and, and which. Being burned alive is probably one of the worst ways to, worst ways to die. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's uh, kind of a nice ironic uh, little synergy there. Christians burned uh, alive by pagans. You know, kind of like burned you know pagans Spani- alive a lot. You know, Span- you know the Spanish Inquisition yeah. and such. You know, so that's like a nice little reversal of fates there. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. I don't know. I th- I think that. There's a lot going on in the movie that you don't really, you know, if you're watching it, you might not catch on to everything, but you certainly feel the eeriness of the the situation, even though a lot of the film doesn't really bring about eeriness. When you think about modern movies, we know when an eerie thing is happening because the music is cueing that eerie thing. This movie has Simon and Garfunkel the whole time. And so... in your basket. Corn in your basket, but I, corn in the basket, or something like that. It's a uh, corn rigs are Bonnie, corn rigs are Bonnie, and and I think that is actually somewhat masterful. Even though we might look at that now and say like, ah, oh, the seventies, what a Jesus. weird time. Yes, yes. Um, but it works really well because if you listen very carefully, you get the folk songs, and then later on, those folk songs start to become more dissonant. There's you get a folk song, but then some violin dissonance there. And it it does really work well with the soundtrack because you might you're thinking like something just feels a little bit off about this song now. Something, you know, it's it's not just your normal folk song that you would you were 
you experienced at the beginning of the movie, it's a really good element that brings you, even though you may not consciously recognize like what's going on, there's that little element of like that note was off that you're recognizing like something weird is happening. I think it works really well. It's not, it's not overstated right now. You're getting dissonant violins and like, you know, every single trailer has that and you know, all right, well, something scary is happening. In the Wicker Man, that's not really, it's not really overstated like that. It's just, you know. Yeah, the music slowly goes from like it constantly there and you're hearing like yep. corn rigs and it's like, you know, just like, all right, you know, and then it's just like slowly. Yeah, it just slowly and it's not even, it's not, if you just, if you just are listening and not really paying attention, you might not, you might not see it, but it's a very slight dissonance that occurs every now and then. And I think that's, you know, it, it just doesn't signal immediately something scary is happening, but you kind of subconsciously recognize it. The closest thing this film gets to, like, gratuitous is when the they're doing the whole maypole go under the swords. Mm-hmm. And... Where they behead the, um, the, like, rabbit. Yeah. And... You're like, oh shit! You know, someone just got their head just got cut. Their head. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> just a joke. Yeah, it's uh, it's that's yeah. That is probably the most gratuitous thing. And uh, the other thing that you where you actually see violence is when um, Sergeant Howie actually knocks the uh, oh, yeah, the, the guy. one guy the innkeeper over the head. That's really the only other you know actual violent thing that happens. All right, well. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to add about the Wicker Man? Did we did we cover most of the stuff? Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think uh, I think we pretty much covered everything. Christopher Lee's great, obviously. He's great at everything. Um, and uh, you know, Sergeant Howie, uh, Edward Woodward, very good as well. Britt Eklund, um, good for Terrib- when she's terribly dubbed. Yeah, <laughs> but good for when she's in. Um, and she uh, like her saucy dance to titillate I, you. I did. Very saucy. There's, you know, it is titillating because obviously they have her bend over a couple times and you're like, I saw the mound. (laughs) (laughs) They did that on purpose. But you've also got quite a few hammer women in here. You've got Ingrid Pitt in here. Another hammer uh, female. She's the school teacher. Oh, librarian. Yeah. Oh. Yep. And and uh, you know, so you've you've definitely got some some uh, some very sexy hammer ladies in here. All this film is missing is uh old uh, what the hell? Why am I drawing a blank on his name? Fucking Grand Moff Tarkin. Why am I drawing Peter from the Hammer films? Peter Lori? No. Oh. uh... Peter? Peter Cushing. There you oh. go. Jesus. I, God. Oh. Fucking All right. Mind, gotcha. Mine's rotting over here. Yeah, this film was just missing Peter Cushing to show, I'd show up and be like, stop right there, Christopher Lee. That's true. I mean, they would collaborate a lot more in the future, but yeah, nothing here. In the past, actually. Collaborate in the past and future. All right. So um, on a scale of 10... Uh, Ten um, March hairs. What would you give uh, the Wicker Man? I'll give it a nine out of ten. It's a really good film. Very good. I can see why it's kind of uh, gained cult status. Um, 
Because it's a thinker. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not the greatest horror film, I'd say, of all time. But it's definitely very good. Christopher Lee's great. Um, performances overall are great. The premise is really good. It's solid as all hell. It's uh, definitely a thinking man's horror film. It's a very slow burn, but like I said before, the film's very economical. Gets you there in no time. Every, nothing feels wasted. Nothing feels too elongated. Mm-hmm. Everything's got a purpose and a beat. Everything moves along. And I think the fact that it is understated is what makes it great because, like I said a bunch of times on this podcast, gratuity is not what makes a good horror film. It's what you leave to the mind. In this film, whether intentional or not, I'm going to err on the side of intentional, is very subtle and very um, deliberate in how it shows things, and it adds to the tension. I think after the first watch, you're never really going to find it to be like, have quite the same eeriness, but it's definitely something to watch, to enjoy, and then to kind of think about because it's definitely something you'll come up with some idea on what you think the film's uh general motif is hmm. yeah i i i agree i i would give it like an 8.5 or a 9 um i i certainly think that it's a very strong movie in the horror canon um because as you said it is a thinking man's film it's very slow burn definitely has a strong theme to it that it, it intentionally is making its point come to fruition throughout the rest, throughout the entirety of the film. You know, you're, you're certainly, um, meant to glean something from it at the end. And it's kind of interesting, depending on your belief, you might glean something different. You might, you might get something completely different from what the filmmakers intended. And, you know, that's, that's literature, that's cinema that happens. Um, but what I really believe was the case is that we're supposed to feel like religion in itself. There's some amount of ridiculousness to it. There's, you know, everything is sort of made up and our, our morality, our beliefs, our religion, they've all been designed. They've all been, um, you know, evolved from certain things that we, they, that people wanted us to think and feel. And the wicker man gets to that. Um, it, it showcases two different religions and shows which one's correct. We don't really know. There's no, there's no ending to it that would give us a reason to believe either one. Um, and so I think that's really interesting. You know, it, it kind of challenges beliefs. Um, it has a really good um, movement throughout slow burn, very good actors. Christopher Lee is great. Um, Edward Woodward is, is great in, in the, the protagonist character, very um, stoic, very, um, you know, helps the character, um, helps the the audience, rather, get into what the character is believing and then kind of being the stand-in for the audience as well. Um, and, and I think that it really does a good job with mo- all of that, the eeriness, the, you know, the understatedness to it, um, the soundtrack. While you wouldn't necessarily think that it's great with all the you know seventies folk ballads that are uh, cropping up here and there, and with all the musicals, um, it really does lend itself to the theme of the film and 
and kind of progresses throughout. So I think they did a really good job of this. And, you know, the Wicker Man definitely does deserve to be in the annals of uh, horror history here. It's a very strong film um, with a, a, a great and interesting message that, to, to take away from it. So. so on Wikipedia, somebody called it the Citizen Kane of horror films. Yeah. Not going to quite go there. I'm not going to go there, but it is a really good movie. I think that more people need to check it out and watch it because I, I think, you know, you're thinking The Wicker Man, 1973, how, how good can it be? But it certainly is a strong movie regardless of when you watch it. And, um, you know, it also has had a ton of influence, not just Midsummer, but in general, you know, The Outsider in a weird place stems a lot from The Wicker Man. Very, you know, it has just a wide-reaching influence despite the fact that, you know, maybe some of those films don't really delve into religion, but it certainly has an influence on them. Um, Just a, you know, just a very, very influential movie. I do think, too, it helps that it was made by British people because Mm -hmm. I think they have a certain subtlety Mm -hmm. and a slight grace that if it was made in the United States, it would probably be extremely Christian. It, that it would just, you know, well, that if, even if it was trying to get like the same message across, it would be so much more fucking heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Just because if you watch like any film these days, unless it's like a, uh, one of the, uh, what the hell, guy that did, uh, that we were just talking about when it came to Spiral. Drawing a blank. Uh, James Wan? Not James Wan, but if, if what we w- thought Spiral should have been made by the guy, guy that did It Follows. and I mean, not It Follows. Uh, get Out. Oh, uh, yeah, Jordan Peele. Yeah, Jordan Peele. Gotcha. I was trying to combine... <laughs> uh, At first, I, I was, I was, to, I was uh, thinking Jordan Peterson. I, I, I know. Like, I fuck? <laughs> Not yeah. Jordan Peterson. Yeah, you know, we should talk about Christian, you know, Canadian Christianity. <laughs> but, no, I was trying to combine like both Key and Peel's names at once. I was like, oh, I don't want to fucking. But not like you know, like I mean, like outside of him, like how many American pe- directors are making like horror films that are, uh, you know, thematic and you know thought provoking and like just but like subtle about it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. has more of a subtle touch. Here it'd be like, you know, hand over fist, like like when we just saw, you know, Spiral. (laughs) Yeah. So what do you think we want to do next week, or next time? In two weeks. We had talked about um, doing uh, Grizzly, still on the the docket we could do. Um, We could... Is that new zombie film with Dave Bautista? Is that like terrible? I just watched it the other day. Yeah. <laughs> is that like a spiritual, Army of the Dead? Is that supposed, I, to be like, it's supposed to be like a spiritual successor to like the remake of Dawn of the Dead? Or like well, I mean, it's, it is a Zack Snyder movie. I know, so that's what I'm saying. Um, so like, it's not really. I wouldn't. I don't really think of it as a successor. It's very different than Dawn of the Dead. It's just like um, it certainly does not. It's not as as. Like, Dawn of the Dead is probably Zack Snyder's best film. And we did Dawn of the Dead, and it's an alright movie. You know, it's not amazing, 
But Army of the Dead is really not good. We just watched it the other day. I have. N- I don't want to do it again. I don't want to. I don't. I definitely don't want to do it. I, they, I saw the trailer. We can wait five years. I, and see, when I saw one. the trailer for it, I was like, "This was. I'm like, this supposed to be like a fucking spiritual successor to like mm. Dawn of the Dead. Like, what the hell? Is this, or is Zack Snyder just being like, yeah? No, it's. I wouldn't really call it a successor, but it certainly is something from Zack Snyder. It's uh, about so it looks an like hour he, too long. and <laughs> Looks like he took Left 4 Dead. He's like, I'm going to make that. Pretty much, Ooh. yeah. That's pretty much, yeah. That's right. Um, wait, to, wait, you know what? Wait for the Snyder Cut. People are like, this is magical. Eclectic. Five stars. You know what I'm in the mood for? Chinese. I'm always in the mood for Chinese. No, I'm in the mood for... Um, Jello? We haven't done nope. Jello in a long time. An Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Oh, which one? There's a whole bunch. And I'm thinking an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where he's pursued by the y- Yaucha. Commando. No. Damn. Okay, you didn't. You, you're missing out. Predator. I want to do Predator. Oh, is that what he calls it? I don't Yeah. The, so the, the race is Yaucha. You know? Oh, see, I've seen Predator a billion times. I was going to say they don't fucking. You know, you know what? I don't know if they. It's that's more so within like the um, lore of Predator that came out with are all you, the Dark Horse comics and stuff like that. Are you sure you don't want to just watch the Predator movie with Adrian Brody? Uh, what is that Predators? I don't even think I've seen that one. I have not seen that one. Um, or Predator Two with Danny Glover. It's been basically so, playing. It's true. Predator weapon. Two is pretty fun, but um, I it's been so long since I've seen Predator. I I want to do Predator. Sure, why not? Let's do Predator. It's, we're getting into the summer. And it's going to be jungle heat. Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do Predator next time. I, that'd be, I think that'd be fun. It's uh, it'd be a good time. I've seen, it. I've seen it a billion times. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen it, so. I will. I mean, I, can I like? Do I know it like by heart? No, but I have. It is. But you can pull out your Arnold Schwarzenegger phrases. Me. No, that's meant save for kindergarten. <laughs> I'll pull out my Danny DeVito phrases. <laughs> do twins. I'm the trash man. <laughs> All right. I take so- the trash and I throw it in the ring and I throw garbage at the people. <laughs> It's the best line from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, so we'll, we'll plan on doing Predator next time. I think that'll, that'll be fun. So that'll be in two weeks. So uh, definitely tune in for our Predator episode. Ever play an Alien versus uh, Predator game? No. Uh, they're like all horrible, I guess, or the Aliens games. Like, Yeah. I have uh, Alien Isolation, but I haven't even played it. I heard that's like the best one. So. All right, so uh, check out our, our Predator episode coming up next uh, in two weeks, next episode. Uh, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Podcasts, pretty much any podcasting app that you can think of. We're on it. So subscribe to us. Leave us a nice rating. It really helps us out. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can search for us, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. You'll find us on there. Like us, subscribe, uh, follow us, and tweet us. Whatever you normally do on social media. Uh, we also have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. You can write to us, let us know what you want us to cover on the show, and we will certainly take that into consideration. And as always, you can donate to us. We have a Patreon page. Um, Apple Podcast is soon coming out with like a subscription-based thing. Um, anything that you can donate to us on uh, would really help us out. It just helps us keep the podcast going, helps us fund our beer. So um, that certainly helps us out too. <laughs> As always, thank you for listening to our episode on The Wicker Man, and we hope to see you back next time. Take care.